You could turn with me to Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Again, that's Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Malachi is right before the book of Matthew, the last book in the Old Testament. And let's actually start reading from verse 13 of chapter 3. So we're going to start from Malachi chapter 3, verse 13, through Malachi 4, 1 through 6. And God's word reads, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then who, then those who fear the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him, and those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the destruction, the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from a stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. As I pray for you this morning, would you please pray for me as well? Father God, you must become greater, and I must become less 
I must decrease and you must increase. Father, I pray that you would pour out grace upon me this morning to speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. Father, I am helpless apart from your grace. I am helpless apart from your spirit. So would you please flood me right now with much of your grace and fill me with your Holy Spirit to speak your word with clarity and with boldness and with compassion. I pray, God, that you would help me to not struggle with anxiety or the fear of man, but to declare your word faithfully. Father, I pray for the unbelievers here today, that who don't, the ones who don't know you, that you would be pleased to draw them to yourself by your spirit, to repentance and faith. I pray that you would have mercy on them, and that you would take out hearts of stone and give hearts of flesh and put your spirit within them. And I pray that your word would go forth and encourage your sons and daughters that they would look forward to the day of the coming of our Lord, that they would rejoice with gladness and look towards that day. So, Father, please come in power. Remove me, Father, and make a name for yourself. Make a name for your son, Jesus Christ. And I will give you all of the honor and all of the glory and all of the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, have your way. Chapter 4 is still part of the section that begins in 3.13. So that's why I had us read 3.13. And the point of Malachi 4 is that one day God is going to act. So Malachi 4 is pointing out that there's coming a day when God is going to act. Sometimes it appears as though God isn't doing anything. But a day is coming in which God will act and there will be a clear distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between the unbeliever and the believer. Right now... Often it seems like the wicked prosper. I mean, that's what they're saying in chapter 3. Why is it that the wicked are prospering? Why does it seem like they're prospering? What's going on, Lord? So it often seems like the wicked prosper. And right now, the righteous are persecuted. Look at ISIS, beheading Christians. You have people who are Involved in sex trafficking, making money off of abusing women and children. You have rappers and actors who say very ungodly things and do very ungodly things, and it looks like they're prospering. You look at their cars, you look at their homes, you look at all that they have, the money that is stacking, and you look at them and you say, it looks like they're prospering. And the list goes on and on and on. 
And as you see in Malachi 3.15, it looks like the wicked are escaping. But a day is coming when those who humble themselves and trust God will be vindicated and rewarded. Hallelujah. We are living now by faith, brothers and sisters, waiting for the time where God is going to reward his servants. So the great day of the Lord is going to be a day that brings judgment to the wicked and rejoicing to the righteous. And in light of the day of the Lord, we are to remember God's law and we are to look forward to the coming restoration. The day of the Lord will bring judgment to the wicked. Look with me at verse 1 of Malachi chapter 4. It says, Behold, behold, meaning listen. Listen up. Give me your attention. Behold, the day is coming. This is a day that we can't pause. This is a day that we can't stop. But when that day comes, we are not going to be able to hold it back. So pay attention. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. That word oven can be translated furnace. It uses these word pictures because God wants to make it very clear that this is a terrifying day. For those who are not in the Lord, the day is coming that is burning like an oven or burning like a furnace when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble or chaff. It doesn't say 50% of the arrogant will be stubble. It doesn't say 75% of the evildoers will be stubble. It doesn't even say 99% of evildoers and the arrogant will be stubble. But it says all of them will be stubble. All of them will be set ablaze. It goes on to say that the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts. This, isn't, this just isn't anyone talking. This is the Lord of hosts talking. So you can rest assured that it will come to pass. That he's going to set them on blaze, set them on fire. So that it will leave them neither root nor branch. It will sever the wicked all the way down to root and branch. It uses these word pictures, the point that the destruction will be absolute. This week, I was talking to a sister who I believe is a believer. And she was telling me that her father passed away. And it was a conversation that was heartbreaking, sobering, and at the same time, it was troublesome. Because she was saying her father passed away and she believes that he wasn't a believer. But the next words that she said to me kind of threw me for a loop. And what she said was, I'm pretty sure that he wasn't a believer 
but I know that God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. So I'm believing that he's in heaven right now. And I kind of looked at her like, did you hear what she just said? You said that you're pretty sure that your father wasn't a believer, but you're hoping that he's in heaven right now. But that's not what this book teaches. The Bible makes it very clear that those who don't trust in Jesus Christ will perish. And that's hard. That's hard. That's hard for me because I have loved ones who I care about, family members and friends and people I know who I truly care about, who I know if they don't repent and trust in Jesus Christ, they will spend the eternity in hell. God will set them ablaze. They will be burnt, severed to the root. Absolute destruction will come upon them. And that is tough for me to accept. But God's word says it. A lot of people will say that's not loving to say that to people. It's not loving to tell them that if they don't repent and trust in Jesus Christ, they'll spend the eternity in hell. And I would say it's one of the most loving thing, if not the most loving thing you can tell them. And the reason for being is because it gives them the opportunity to examine themselves in light of Scripture to repent and trust in Jesus Christ for his perfect righteousness. They'll never know and understand the good news fully until they understand the bad news. I love what the hip-hop theologian Trip Lee says. <laughs> the bad news is we were born in sin. The good news is we could be born again. That's good news, but they'll never understand how good the news is unless they first understand that they have offended a holy and righteous God. So it's love to tell our family members and friends that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that we all deserve to die. But there is one who came named Jesus Christ who died in the place of sinners so that sinners like us could be made righteous and presented perfect in front of a holy and righteous God. So Malachi comes out swinging from the very beginning. But bear with me because there's great hope coming for the believer in this text. Look with me at verse 2. The great day of the Lord will also bring rejoicing to the righteous. Verse 2 says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from a stall. So it says, but you who fear my name, only God can place it in a believer's heart to make him fear him. And this fear is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. When God saves us, he gives us a desire not to want to sin. And when we do sin, it breaks our heart. When we do rebel against him, it breaks our heart because he has put a fear inside of us. A fear to fear his name. And I love the word pictures that it gives here in this verse. The son of righteousness, rise with healing in its wings. 
you shall go out leaping like cast from a stall. <laughs> so let's talk about some of those word pictures. It says the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. When you think of the sun, you think of warmth. You know, my daughter, um, she's been saying to me all week, Dad, Dad, it's going to be 60 degrees on Sunday. And the reason why she's so excited is because it's been cold the last couple of days. So she's excited that the sun's coming out. And she's like, it's going to be 60 degrees. Um, and sure enough, it's a lot warmer today than it was the last couple of days, and it will be a lot warmer. But this word picture here, it kind of gives a picture of the son who will come and bring warmth to his people, comfort to his people. Amen. And um, Luke 1, 76 through 79 says, and you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord and prepare his way, talking about John the Baptist, and give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So this word picture of the son of righteousness is talking about Jesus Christ. He's going to come and bring warmth, comfort to believers on that day where the wicked, they're going to be judged. That same son of God that comes back to judge the wicked is going to comfort the godly. He's going to embrace them with warmth. He's going to comfort them. The Bible also talks about how Jesus in Revelation, um, he's going to be so glorious that there won't even be, be no need for a son. It says in Revelation 21, 23, and the city has no need of a sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the lamb. We won't even need a sun when we're in glory because Jesus is so glorious that the glory that radiates from him will be enough light to shine in heaven. Hallelujah for that. That's the one that's coming back to comfort you, believer. That's the one that's coming to warm you with his love. The Bible uses another word picture. It says that he will rise with healing in its wings. He will come and bring healing. I mean, just think about it right now. That's so hopeful as you think in light of everything that's going on right now. I mean, just think about it. There's cancer. People have to go and get chemotherapy. People have wheelchairs, and there'll be no more of that when the Son of God returns. No more canes. No more high blood pressure. <laughs> no more um, high blood sugar. None of those things. All of those things will cease because he will bring healing to his sons and daughters in full totality. Praise God for that. I heard a preacher say 
that for the unbeliever, this earth is the closest to heaven that they will ever get. But for the believer, this earth is the closest to hell that they will ever get. Because for the believer, there's something far greater beyond this. And that's why we endure the suffering, endure the pain, because we're expecting a great hope who's coming to us, and that is Christ. So the day of the Lord will be rejoicing for the righteous. It goes on to point out this next picture. You will go out leaping like calves from a stall. What does that mean? You go out leaping like calves from a stall. Well, back in those days, the Israelites, when it was wintertime, they would take calves which is just another word for a, a baby cow. And they would put them inside of these stalls. And they would put them in these stalls during the whole winter. So you could only imagine the excitement <laughs> in the calf when they came and unlatched that latch to let the calf out. He would come out leaping from the stall. Because he would be so excited to get out of this stall, to get into the pasture, to play, to have fun. Well, that's how the Bible explains us when the day of the Lord comes. We will leap like a calf from a stall <laughs> at the appearing of our Savior. We will behold his glory. We'll be filled with so much excitement. Let me see if I can paint another picture. In Minneapolis, before coming here, we had a, a German shepherd. Um, if, you, if you listen to Pastor T, he'll tell you that it was a beast, <laughs> that it wasn't a German shepherd. But we had a 90-pound a German shepherd, and it's a pretty big German shepherd. I can see why he would say he's a beast. Um, but when we left the house, because Simba, that was his name, I know, he's a lion, right? He was really a lion. Um, because Simba had a teething problem, right? He would like to chew on things. Whenever we left the house, we made sure that we put him in the room. And we put him in Asia's room, and me and my wife was like, well, if he chews up anything, it's Asia stuff anyway. <laughs> but we would put him in the room, and when we would leave, we would know that when we come back, as soon as we start opening that door, we know that he's getting ready, he would start stretching his legs. He would get ready, and we would walk in the house, and we would start walking towards the door, and we could hear him scratching the floor, just waiting to get out. And we would open the door, and as soon as we opened the door, he would come leaping out, full with full excitement. Why? Because he was free. And I had to make sure I told my wife and my kids, you got to make sure that you're out of the hallway because if not, Simba's going to knock, knock you down like a bowling ball knocks down bowling pins. But he would come leaping out because he was so excited to be free. Well, that's the picture here where it says that we're going to be leaping out of stalls like calves who are free. But not just free, but free to behold a Savior free to embrace a Christ, free to love him with no constraints, free to be uh, 
able to worship him with no type of division in our heart whatsoever, experiencing perfect love and perfect joy and perfection in his presence. That's what the Bible is talking about. So you see why there's great joy. You see why there's great joy. Hallelujah. And it goes on to say in verse 3, And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. And I believe that this is just pointing to victory. I believe it's pointing to um, him answering what's going to happen when he comes. And he's showing that, yeah, the wicked are prospering now, but it's just for a season. When I act, I'll sever the wicked, and you're going to trample over them. The believers will come out on top because Christ is on top. So the third thing that I want to point out is in light of the great day of the Lord, we are to remember the law and to look forward to future restoration. Let's look at this. Remember the law of my servant Moses and the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb, or that could be translated Mount Sinai, for all of Israel. I want to focus on the word remember. It's interesting that he says, remember the law of my servant Moses. Try to paint a picture of this. Um, About 20 years ago, I remember eating apple pie and drinking milk right before I got on a roller coaster. All right? And I remember the effects of that after I got off the roller coaster, and they weren't good. I threw up, and it messed me up. And I kid you not, I have not eaten apple pie and drunk milk since because I remember that experience. History has a way of serving how we view the present. History has a way of serving how we interact in the present, what we do in the present. And here it is. God is saying to remember the law of my servant Moses. Remember my commandments. Remember my statutes. Remember how I dealt with those when they broke my law. Remember how I dealt with you when you obeyed my law. Remember that I was a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands Forgiven iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. He's saying to them, remember the law because that's what's going to preserve you. Remember my commandments. That's what's going to sustain you. That's what's going to make you search your heart. That's what's going to make you live in light of what I called you to do. 
So he says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him on Mount Sinai for all of Israel. And then in verse 5, it says, behold, again, pay attention, listen up. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. That word awesome can also be translated terrible. Because as Pastor Matt said, that day is going to be great for believers. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be a day full of rejoicing for believers. But for unbelievers, that day is going to be terrible. It's going to be a day that you would never, ever want to experience. And I say that with humility and by God's grace, I hope, and love saying, please, if you don't know Christ, Turn from your wicked ways and put your trust in him. You don't have to experience the wrath of God. You can experience the comfort of God through Christ. But you must turn from your sin, forsake your rebellion against the one and only true God. And you must put your trust and faith in Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to God except through him. You can't go through Muhammad. You can't go through uh, uh, Joseph Smith. The Mormons got it incorrect. Jehovah Witness have it incorrect. There's only one God. And it's the God who sent his son, Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And believers will do it willingly, but unbelievers will do it unwillingly. But we will all confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But he says, come to me. Come to me. I'm merciful. I'm compassionate. I'll cleanse you from all of your sin. I'll make you righteous. I don't care what you have done. I don't care how many people you've slept with. It doesn't matter how many people you killed. It doesn't matter how many times you have lied. It doesn't matter what sins you have committed. The blood of Christ is enough to watch, wash the most vilest sinner clean. Trust in him. Put your faith in him. Hope in him, he's able to save. He's able to save. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike you, strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And then that's how the Old Testament closes. That's how it closes. But the Old Testament doesn't close with a period. <laughs> it closes with a comma. Because there's more to come. 
There's more to come. So, if you look with me to, uh, look with me to Luke chapter 1. So who's this Elijah figure? Look with me to Luke chapter 1. And I want to point out um, that there was 400 years of silence after Malachi. No prophet spoke for over 400 years until the next prophet arrives on the scene, and that's John the Baptist, which Luke 117 Luke 117 says, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the Lord and people prepared. So in a sense, at the very end of Malachi, the Elijah who's coming, the Bible says, is John the Baptist. But I don't think that John the Baptist is Elijah because the Bible makes it very clear that the spirit and power of Elijah would be upon him. And this prophet, John the Baptist, came crying out in the wilderness, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. This prophet John the Baptist was a voice crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his path. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his path. This prophet John the Baptist was a voice crying out in the wilderness, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the Old Testament, they had to sacrifice bulls and goats and lambs, but the blood was not sufficient enough to atone for sin forever. But there was coming a Lamb of God Jesus Christ, who would be sacrificed and slaughtered on the cross for sinners, whose blood would atone for eternity for those who repent and trust in Jesus Christ. So John the Baptist was a type of Elijah. The spirit and power of Elijah was upon him to preach repentance. But I don't think that that's all to it. Just as Jesus Christ has came, coming in two stages, the, the first coming and then the second coming, I believe, and some scholars believe, that Elijah will also come in two stages, or John the Baptist and the spirit and power of Elijah, and then Elijah himself will come. That's what some believe, and I think I would lean more towards that direction. Um, you see, when the prophets talked about the great and awesome day of the Lord, it had an initial fulfillment, 
and another fulfillment in the second coming of Christ. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 11 says, This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about. When they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you, they wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. Also in Revelation chapter 11, it talks about two witnesses. There's two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. Um, read that in your own time. I believe it's Revelation chapter 11, maybe 3 to 12. But within that chapter, it says that there's these two witnesses that have power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. I only know of one prophet who was able to stop the sky from raining. That's Elijah. And when I think of um, the sea being struck and plagues coming, I only think of one other prophet, and that's Moses. On the transfiguration, you see Jesus, and he's with who? Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets. In Malachi chapter 4, at the very end, he says, remember the law of my servant Moses, and then he says he'll send Elijah, representing the law and the prophets. So I could be incorrect, but I believe that when it says he's going to send Elijah, that this is kind of twofold. It's kind of that already not yet type of thing going on, where the Spirit came upon John the Baptist and he preached repentance, but there's a day coming when Elijah will come and preach repentance. And the Bible says in Revelation that he will be killed. And it's interesting that they're going to kill him for preaching against sin, just like they killed John the Baptist for preaching against sin. And just as John the Baptist was a forerunner for the first coming of Christ, Elijah will be a forerunner for the second coming of Christ. The question is, whenever that day is, are you prepared? Because the great day of the Lord will bring judgment on the wicked. But it will be a day of rejoicing for the righteous. And in light of the great day of the Lord, we are to remember the law of Moses. And to look forward to the future restoration with Christ. So the last thing I want to point out is in chapter 6, where it says, and he, Elijah, will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree. There is massive mercy in this verse. 
The Lord doesn't have to send a messenger to turn hearts. But he does. On the day of his return, he doesn't have to send two witnesses to turn hearts. But he does. Because his mercy goes forth before he brings judgment. He's a merciful God that gives chance after chance after chance. But his mercy isn't meant for us to abuse it, as it says in Romans. But his mercy is meant to lead us to repentance. It says that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Well, what does that mean? I think here's an example. My mother and I, there was a point in our lives where we didn't have the best relationship. Um, a big part of that is my, my brother, my mother, excuse me, my mother um, abused different substances and has really messed with her mind. Um, so it's caused her to say things sometimes that's really been harsh. And because of that, it's made me want to pull back. Um, so I would say that I was part of the problem too, because instead of me really trying to reach out at times, I would try to distance myself. But by God's grace, he started just allowing me to see through the scriptures how important it is to honor our parents, no matter what they say, no matter what they do. There isn't like a qualifier when he says, honor your parents. He tells you to do that. And because of that, little by little over the years, I believe the Lord is restoring our relationship, and it's still a process. It's still a process. My father, me and him were very close when I was an unbeliever, but when I became a believer, it seems like there was friction. Um, and we didn't have that well of a relationship either. Uh, but little by little, by God's grace, he started restoring that. And I believe the reason why our relationship wasn't that well is not, not just because my dad's heart was hard when it came to the truths of the gospel, but I believe that I was sharing these truths in a way that wasn't that loving. The Lord needed to teach me how to speak the truth, but to do it in love, and to do it with honor, and to do it with respect. And it's a blessing to tell you, you know, two, uh, two days ago, I was on the phone with my pop, and we were laughing and giggling, talking about how Steph Curry is the next Michael Jordan, <laughs> and having a good time talking about the things of the Lord. But that's an example of the Spirit of God coming and turning the hearts, the children, to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the children. Um, Practical application for all of you. How's your relationship with your parents? And children, little children, how's your relationship with your parents? And fathers and mothers, how's, how's your relationship with your children? Because there's a sense to where we can be around our children, parents, and miss their hearts. We can go home and sit on the couch and they're talking to us and disconnect ourselves. 
We can discipline our children out of anger to where we're abusing them and not really even willing to do so. And children, the, the Bible calls you to respect your parents, to honor them. If you're not doing that, you need to repent. The Spirit of the Lord came to turn the hearts of children to fathers and the hearts of father to children, to restore relationships, to bring restoration. And I pray that if there's any sin, children, against your parents, you will repent. And I pray, parents, if there's any sin in your heart, you will repent like I did this weekend. This passage has been changing my life, and I pray that God is massaging it into your heart as well. Last thing I want to say. There's a brother here, I won't name his name because if I said his name, you would know him. But I remember I was sitting in a meeting with him not too long ago, and he said to us, I need to go and ask my child for forgiveness. I need to ask my children for forgiveness because I think there's ways that I was overbearing as a parent. The Bible says to... Um, to not provoke your child to wrath. I think that there's ways that I was overbearing, so I need to go ask them for forgiveness. We held that brother accountable. He came back to us and, and said he did it. And as a result, I believe the Lord drew um, them together closer is what he would testify from his mouth. And I honor and respect that man. But that's the spirit of God turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Today, the word of God has won forth, and the day of the Lord, the great day of the Lord, will come. It could come tomorrow. It could come right now. It could come years from now. But whether it comes then or whether you die and slip into eternity, you're going to stand in front of God. And the great day of the Lord will bring judgment on the wicked and rejoicing for the righteous. We're going to leap like calves from a stall. Hallelujah. Aren't you looking forward to that day? And in light of the day of the Lord, we are to remember his law, keep ourselves anchored in his word, study his word, memorize his word, write it on the wall, write it on the refrigerator, do whatever you got to do to keep the law of the Lord before you, as it says in Deuteronomy. And believers, let's look forward to the restoration that's coming in the person of Christ. Will you pray with me now? Oh, Father, thank you so very much for the privilege to be able to preach your word. And with all of my might, I have 
strive to try to be faithful to your word. I pray, Lord, that you would that you would forgive me for my imperfections and the ways that I may have misinterpreted your word. And I pray that if I interpret your word, Father, uh, in a way that is correct, that you would apply it to the hearts of your children. Oh, Father, whatever I've said that is not helpful, let it blow away. But the things that I have said that, have, that has came from you, may it stick prophetically in the hearts of your people and those who don't know you now. I pray that you would draw them by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. May they see the terror that awaits them if they don't repent and trust in Jesus Christ. But may they see the joy that awaits them if they are found in Jesus. Oh, Father, would you be merciful to those who don't know you this morning. And Father, would you just cause great rejoicing in the hearts of your, your children who do know you. May they look forward to the day when they will be leaping like cast from a stall and beholding the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray this in the name of your matchless Son, Jesus. Amen.